I was I did an interview with Adam Buschetta the other day, and he's taller than me too. Most of them are, and he looked at me. He's like, "Didn't you exercise, ride, and want to become a jockey around the same time I started?" And I was like, "Yeah," but then I like got hurt really bad and changed my mind. You're in another edition of the Goat Zoom Room. I'm Caitlin. Andy is here as always as well. And we are joined by a special guest, one of my co-hosts from Twin Spires and a great friend of mine as well. Kevin Kilroy is joining us from his office. And gentlemen, we are three quarters of the way through the Triple Crown now. Preakness just ran. Kind of a bit of a surprise, kind of not, kind of depending on how you played it and how you see it. But what are our final reactions for that as we move on three weeks down the line you know three quarters two thirds I, I, i'd love to see a fourth leg to this triple crown yeah i was but... gonna say the same thing like, <laughs> i thought you probably were here. About, you know my thoughts are it's, it's a bummer we don't have any of these horses uh any of these winners at least running back in the uh in the belmont for sure um but uh you know i mean it was tough seeing Epicenter have another tough loss. Uh, being a big fan, definitely became uh, you know attached to that horse. Seeing all the good runs down at fairgrounds this past meet, and uh, you know covering covering him for the notes team at the Derby and all that sort of stuff, and that tough loss to Rich Strike, and then that tough trip in the Preakness. Jeez, but um, you know my thoughts are, I, I guess you know you know early voting really did impress me, but it was you know pretty easy trip, so I'm kind of just. I'm kind of just sitting back thinking about the Preakness and the Derby, just wondering uh, how impressed or unimpressed I am with, with this crop, to tell you the truth. I'm just, I'm just not sure where I'm at with it. What about you all? I'm, I'm going to hold judgment on this crop because yeah. I'm not – I learned a long time ago never to rush my judgment on crops because some horses just mature a lot, a lot longer, and they race until they're four or five. The, the rare majority do, but – they still do, and uh, you know, I really like the way early voting was coming up into the race and how he ran. And I mean, I, I texted Caitlin and said, "Thank you very much for putting me on that horse because I probably wouldn't have played him." And um, so you, you were know, able to get a score there. I mean, that was a good price, five to one. Yeah, that was, and I even texted her. I'm like, "How's how's this horse five to one? This horse shouldn't be five to one." I'll tell you how, like Benwick was what, 13 to one and, uh, and all the other crazy betting. I mean, it was, it was pretty insane to see all that money go after those long shots. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I really thought that if there was one thing that really worried me when I saw five to one in the gate was the computers like pushing right. a ton of money toward him and apparently it didn't matter. So it works for me. Yeah, I guess that's the perk of the big race days, right? Is the pools are big enough that just, that computer money can come and it won't uh, won't affect you last minute like it does on a regular day. Yeah. I so you know, Caitlin, what were your final thoughts? I'm kind of with you guys. I'm gonna reserve judgment, but I'm not sure how I feel about it. This was actually one of the first years where. I didn't have like a super attachment to a horse that I'm like, Oh, this is a really good horse. I can't wait to see what they do 
you know, in the triple crown. And, you know, I really like Epicenter and I still probably think he's the best horse. I was really high on early voting for a while, but there's just nobody that's really jumping out and grabbing me. And there really never has been. And I don't know if it's just because of everything that horse racing has been through with the past couple of years, or if I'm just kind of not super high on this crop, I really can't decide. But one thing that I, really is standing out to me is obviously we have the major players at the center, rich strike and early voting so far. And I think they'll all stay around for next year because Clarevich and, um, the Winchell um, racing group, they like to keep horses around. They don't immediately like to send a stud. And I don't think Rich Strike is going to be going to stud right away for a while. So I think we're going to be able to take some time and really be able to enjoy these horses and really see how good they get. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be great news. I mean, that's just, that's one thing that I always get, get sour about when I see great horses uh, come out of racing, you know, but of course the money's there and it all makes sense. Um, that, that'd be fantastic for sure. Well, I just think of how long, you know, the Winchell's race Gunrunner, Untappable, and all, those, all of their horses. They don't rush to get them to the breeding shed, which is what I really, really like about that group. And Steve Asmussen's the same way. So I really think that as good as this horse has been at two and three, I think maybe he's one to look forward to as he gets older as well. And if he gets a little bit of a freshening and then we maybe Saratoga, I definitely would say. Yeah, go ahead. You know, the, the crazy thing is with the Winchells is, you know, when they have a good horse, like you guys have all said, they do run them at their four-year-old year. Yeah, they do. And I mean, I think Midnight Bourbon was also one that was theirs as well. And he was yep. running his four-year-old year before Colic took him. Uh, yep. So, I mean, I totally agree that I think you'll see him. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm in your boat. And I think I, I've changed my outlook a few years ago when it came to, like, the three-year-old crops to where I wouldn't be high on a horse so quickly because of, because of the way the derby comes out and where the position mm -hmm. is. I'd be so set on it early on that I'd be like, yep, that's the horse that I want. That's the horse that I'm going to play. And then the horse doesn't fire and it makes me look like I don't know what I'm talking about. So. Oh yeah. I mean, that happens all the time, right? You get, you get yeah. so bought into having your pick and having your tout and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, or happens to me all the time for sure. And yeah, that was something that was holding me back a little bit from betting harder in the Derby and the Preakness was just knowing I had that emotional attachment to Epicenter um, and of course, the, you know, the value not being there for sure, and, and the preakness there. What did you guys think about the ride with Epicenter? What's your what's your, what's your thoughts about that? Did, did Rosario mess it up? Should he have been more aggressive? Was it just you know just a tough break and didn't have the lane? And or did Epicenter is he just sort of doling a little bit? And needs needs to be fresh for for his races and uh, didn't have his run. I think my the way I view it is I just. How can I put this? You're, you're basically teaching you. Steve kind of did the right thing and kind of didn't do the right thing, right? He, he basically taught the horse to rate in the Louisiana Derby. Yeah. So then he learns to rate even more in the, in Churchill Downs in the Derby. And then now you're asking him to show more speed after you just asked him not to show speed two straight races. Yeah, you got a horse. You got a young horse that 
that has a rider that tends to be on the conservative side when it comes to getting out in front. And I think he read that race as, I think Fenwick's going to the front. I think yeah. the Baftin horse is going to the front. And I think the, I think early voting is going to the front. And they're going to wear themselves out and I'm going to make my run. And the problem was, is that it didn't turn out that way. And, you know, early voting got the jump on him. Uh, that's the way I see it. I could be wrong because I, 99% of the time I am, if you ask my wife. Uh, but, uh, I don't know. Uh, what did you guys see? When I, I went back and watched it a couple of times, I didn't really think Epicenter broke that bad. He broke maybe a step slow, but I think the whole key was he was behind a wall of horses so quickly and nobody would let him through. They, I think that was maybe, you know, I'm not saying there was any type of collusion or anything, but he just, he couldn't get through. And, you know, I don't want to criticize a rider or anything because I think Rosario did what he could in the moment, but I think he could have asked him for more speed and before he did. And then it was too late. I would have liked to have seen him maybe ask him a little bit more, um, on the backside before he got to the final turn, I would have liked to have seen him ask him for that. But I, I think if Epicenter, you know, breaks okay and gets that spot established more early and is a little bit closer to early voting, I think he would have gone by him. But he just never was able to establish that spot. And I know, Andy, I'm hearing what you say about, you know, they're asking the horse to rate. Well, they weren't even, he's, Rosario wasn't even asking the horse to the rate. The horse was at the back. So he wasn't even in a rating position like he should have been. He was in the back. So I'm not sure why he didn't ask him to move forward than what he did sooner. And I think that's kind of where Steve's frustration is, is, you know, that horse he's either been taught to be pressing the pace, be up on the lead or be rating, you know, in the four or the fifth spot, not clear at the back with secret oh. oath. So... I think they just they just took him way off his game. So how much how much do you put toward the fact that and I'll ask both of you this. What if what if Rosario just misjudged the pace and thought it was faster than what it was because they had the California speed out in front? I think that's possible. Yeah, I think so too, especially seeing, you know, I think you know, it, I'm back and forth about it, but especially seeing the way that he just sort of just comfortably sat back there. And then even right. on the turn, there was a spot where they changed cameras. It's hard to see if maybe there was a little bit of trouble that he had to pump the brakes on. Um, but that he could have been just a little bit up further, you know, and just asked a little bit more earlier just to be in the running a little bit, uh, a little bit closer coming in for the stretch. And yeah, I wasn't sure if that was because Rosario was uh, judging it as it was, they were going fast or, you know, I always talk about a horse putting you in the right spots, you know, if epicenter just was a little dull and just not going to get into the right spots or not getting it, you know, getting there quick enough. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a little bit of everything. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, you got a two year old that's been running. He kind of, he kind of remind his campaign in some form or another reminds me of uh, Nyquist, but Nyquist was like, he was training as a, you know, broken as a, as a, late yearling, went to the two-year-old in training sales, was purchased, ran as a two-year-old, didn't get a break, ran as a three-year-old, and then they finally gave him a break and he never was back. So, 
I mean, it, it could be something as simple as that. So he kind of, um, kind of his campaign so far, and especially you know with the two triple crown races, it kind of reminds me of Chiefs Crown from back in the day. Favored in all of these races when it comes to the triple crown, and then is just finding trouble and finding a way to lose. <laughs> Or somebody else just like blasts through and is good enough. And it's just like, well, this seems to keep happening. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Epicenter's got more to show. I mean, I know a lot of a lot of the Sheets players were talking about just regression, you know, and uh, you just we weren't seeing this big, huge monster performance by Epicenter, right? So it was just a matter of whether these horses were maturing and whether they uh, sort of ha- had that next race, next next level race to offer and I think we've got to just wonder if Epicenter's got got more going forward, or we already have seen the, you know the peak in the in the season. And uh, you know, I'm gonna love to see that race when we get to find that out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree with you on that as well. I mean, I'm agreeing a lot today. That's not like me. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, you obviously do stuff with uh, Churchill Downs, but we like to get. Uh, to know the people and, you know, we see you tweet and uh, you got your job over at fairgrounds, but what, what got you started, especially with the fact that you were born and bred and you're Missouri bred Mm -hmm. uh, and the closest racetrack is, um, is, well, I I don't know how old you are. I'm not going to make assumptions, uh, but I know that they used to have, the racetrack in Kansas that was near Kansas City. Yeah, and, Woodlands. Yeah, Woodlands. And they also have Fairmont Park. Uh, those would be the two closest racetracks, I would think. Yeah, Pretty. and then there's a uh, you know Foner Park, Will Rogers Downs, and Prairie Meadows, and uh, what, what's that one? Nebraska backwards. Uh, Urban. <laughs> yes, Urban. That's right. I always can never say that right. Uh, so I didn't grow up. Uh, with horse racing at all. Grew up a big sports fan, you know, specifically uh, Jayhawks, college basketball was, you know, always been my dad's biggest passion. And I, I bought into that um, big time and, you know, the Royals, Chiefs, all that sort of stuff. So definitely sports fan, but I didn't get into the, to the horses until I was living in Chicago, which I lived uh, there for a good 12 or 13 years. And um, my, uh, my manager at the time, I was working at a, a pizza joint slash deli. And he was from Louisville, James Godby. And he took me and uh, uh, Dave Osborne, not that Dave Osborne, another Dave Osborne, a guy we call Malibu Dave, to the track one day. He's like, you guys got to check this out. You're going to love it. And, um, you know, of course, obviously we did. You can see where, where, this, where this took me. But uh, one of the cool things about it right off the bat was I had this other guy, this other friend who knew a lot about horses. I told him I was going to tracks. And, you know, he's like, all right. Tell your buddy, to, you know, Chris Block has got a turf horse, you know, named Y7 running like in the, you know, in the fifth race. And I, I think that that horse should probably win. And so, of course, we put our money behind that horse and, and he came through. And I'll just I'll never forget that that sort of like uh, bewilderment to being like, who is this person who knows a the trainer's names? B, like that it matters whether they're running on which surface or not, you know, turf or dirt. And see that can like call out a winner like this. I mean, like that, that's what I want to, I want to know that. I want to know who these people are and I want to be able to do that myself. So, um, so I got into it at Arlington and Arlington was great, but I really, 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 really fell in love with it when I started going down the Hawthorne race course down on the South side of Chicago. And, you know, a lot of what I love about 
the horses is the horses themselves, but it's also all the people surrounding it. Um, and, you know, just over the years, we get less and less spots where you can kind of connect to, I mean, might I say like older America, you know, like old, old more sort of immigrant based populations, working class, sort of authentic, real, um, not polished, not uh, not publicity specialist people um, who are uh, living their lives and, uh, and connecting with the sport they have passion for. And I could see that up close and personal at, at Hawthorne. And uh, I started loving going down there, even though it's uh, maybe the most depressing walk is when you can have a losing day at Hawthorne and it's the middle of winter and you're walking out and the wind cuts you like a knife <laughs> and you've got to go catch uh, two buses and a train to get back to, to the neighborhood to, that where you're living at. Um, it's uh, and oh, it smells like the oil refineries around there. there there's definitely some, uh, some some aspects of it that are that could be a little bit rough. But yeah, Hawthorne's where I really fell in love with the sport. Have you guys been down there before? Have you been to, to Hawthorne? I have. I, I what was, do you think, Andy? Is it is it a good spot, or am I am I blowing no, this? No, I will. I will be honest with you. It was the first rate ad. I went there. I went there when Invasor won the Dubai World Cup. So okay. that was eons ago. Uh, but at the time, they still had they still had the race the auto track um, behind Sportsman the, Park. Yeah, huh? they had Sportsman that. Park, the one that yeah. uh, Al Capone built because the Carey family wouldn't uh, sell Hawthorne to it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so they had that, and then they had um, you know, so you know that was still going on. But what I liked at the time was they didn't charge you to go into the racetrack. Mm-hmm. Um, you could sit wherever you wanted to. If you wanted to sit in the clubhouse, you could. They didn't charge you. Um, yeah, I love that too. You can go to the top floor and get the best view in the place and have yeah. the balcony seating, and yeah, you can go anywhere you want. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I loved it. Um, I couldn't say that I loved my handicapping that day because at the time I wasn't really following uh, Chicago racing that much. I was more of a California slash Kentucky person, but I definitely would have i would love to go back to it now especially now since it's the only track in uh chicago yeah the only track in chicago which is which is sad news right there's all sorts of rumors i hear every once in a while that you know what the deal is not quite done with arlington park people are using it to leverage you know i mean i love that conspiracy stuff we'll see we'll see how it uh, how it shakes out but there's also talks that they're going to build another one. So uh, they, they could have something else coming up there too. It would be nice. It really would. But they I've really... heard a lot of the same rumors lately too. <laughs> I mean, the, hard, the hard part about the whole, the whole um, Arlington situation, and I'm not trying to throw shade on CDI with two CDI employees. Um, <laughs> I just think, I just think there was a different way they could have gone about it. I think, the other thing is, is that I think CDI also saw like through a crystal ball that the Illinois breeding program wasn't, wasn't strong enough to withstand a, a full blown meat. Hmm. Right. I mean, you're, you're having to go to Arkansas, um, Arkansas, Illinois, and God, I forgot the other one. I think it's Minnesota to get, to have cal, uh, state bred races, and to me that isn't to me that isn't a caliber that isn't a uh, state bred program. 
that's just me though. Yeah, that's interesting. I think about that with Louisiana and talking to a bunch of people down there and it's such a good statement, red program. And, um, you know, they've got four tracks that they're working with, right. They've got tons of racing dates and, um, they're working hard to, to make sure there's, there's foals and, you know, there's, there's horses in the starting gates and all that sort of stuff. And it takes everybody's efforts. And yeah, I, I know that's a big part of keeping these tracks and the horsemen going. So there could be something to that. Andy. So you grew up in Kansas city. You say you like the Royals and you like the chiefs. Yep. Uh, I, uh, Caitlin and I both from the sincerest bottom of our hearts really, really, uh, offer our sympathies to the fact that the Bengals won, um, <laughs> uh, but you don't. You don't. Are you guys Bengals fans? Are you guys Cincinnati oh, yeah. people? Oh fans? yeah. Jeez. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, right. You know how hard that was for me. So that that day, I wore my Chiefs stocking cap. My kids had just gotten back to New Orleans, and they brought me my stocking cap. And it was like a sixty degree day. I didn't need to have a stocking cap on, but it was all I had for, for my Chiefs gear. And uh, around race. Seven race six, um, I start to hearing a lot of people around the track, uh, kind of yelling up to me, going "Who that? Who that?" Every time that uh, that uh, your guy, what's your quarterback's name again? I forget Burrow. that guy's name. Burrow. Burrow. Oh yeah, that's Burrow. right, Joe Burrow. Of course, um, every time he would do something, every time we would turn the ball over in that second half, and uh, then I started to realize that uh, it wasn't the best idea that I was wearing Chiefs gear um, on on the air. Um, as uh, basically the whole track was turning against me, I just didn't realize that LSU love was that strong in New Orleans. So they carried over to be cheering for the Bengals, and so I, I, I made some enemies that day. And uh, it was it was a, it was a tough deal. I remember I was I was you know doing the analysis for race number nine. It was right when we were kicking the field goal to tie it to go to overtime, and I was watching on this washed out TV that we have in the corner. Could only see half of the screen, so I could see him kick. I just waited to hear if the crowd booed after. And when they booed, I was like, okay, we made it. We're going to overtime, you know, and get back to talking about these horses. So that was, that was a tough day for, uh, for a Chiefs fan um, in New Orleans. I'll tell you that. But congrats to you all. Congrats. I, I think I, proud of you. to tell you how big it is to be a Bengal or how big LSU fans are when it comes to the Bengals. Yeah. Uh, tickets for the Bengals. New Orleans Saints game are going for $350 or more on the already? value already. Dude, come on. I'm serious. I mean, right, who's gonna, who are they going to cheer for? They're going to be all cheering for Joe Burrow. You know? I know. That place is going to be so non-Saint friendly. <laughs> hey, that's a fun – that's a fun uh, – place to see a football game i got to see see one game while i was down there and, and they got after it you know i've never been in the dome before and seeing you know being used to arrowhead being outside but uh the saints fans they're they're awesome man they are they are as good as they get that's for sure hey i i will say this uh kansas city sports fans in general are incredibly awesome um they believe in their history yeah a lot and um you know I was lucky enough to go out there a few times uh, with the Arena League to to do stuff for the when we were visiting uh, Kemper Arena, and uh, my biggest thrill in life was to meet Buck O'Neill before he passed away. Heck yeah! Uh, I yeah. thought that was like the greatest thing in the world. Uh, Caitlin probably knows who Buck O'Neill is. We need to hear if Caitlin does know who he is. 
Oh, sorry, I was on mute. Yes. You do know who he is. I'm pretty sure. Okay. So yeah, so Buck is uh he's one of those guys that's been held up uh so high, you know, by Kansas City and you know, by obviously more than us, but it, it's just amazing to see, you know, a person with such integrity, um, a person, you know, it's just so successful and so much, so many achievements in his life, you know, as a scout, as a, as a, as a ball player, but really, you know, the, the city just turned to him as sort of a, a great face, you know, for, for the type of people that we want to be here, you know, definitely an ideal. And, uh, um, it's great that he made it in the hall of fame. We got him in. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the best part about it is, man, there's not a nicer guy. Right. Wasn't a nicer guy. Like he was, he was just, he's everything you wish a baseball player that you grew up watching or grew up knowing, grow up learning about would be right. A hundred percent, hundred percent. And to keep it in this, in this ballpark. So the place where uh, my brother and sister and I, where we learned to drive is uh, um, the cemetery where Satchel Page is buried, Forest Hill Cemetery. And uh, I, I, I don't joke when I say that my brother, when he was learning, he almost ran right over Satchel Paige's grave. <laughs> so, oh. uh, yeah, the, the Negro League history here is just unbelievable. We had the Negro League uh, Hall of Fame here. And um, it's, it's great to be uh, you know, in a city and uh, a part of those traditions and keeping that good stuff alive. Those, those stories, those ballplayers, you can't beat them. You know, another place that's got a lot of huge history for uh, – Baseball in general is Hot Springs, Arkansas. Is that right? Monster. They used to do spring training. A lot of the players used to go over there and do spring training and practice with each other and everything. Satchel Page would be there with the with the major league ball players. Um, it was it's incredible. It's it's a great history on it. You go. They have all of these signs at, at Hot Springs. Uh, you know, talking about every single player that they had, like around the city. And it's incredible to see. It's, it's an awesome, awesome deal to, to watch, to look at and to learn about. Um, I got to spend some more time in Hot Springs. I've just, I've just been there once. I used to do sales work and um, I would just be able to, I cover the Midwest, do education sales, selling into schools and, I, you know, I, I targeted Little Rock. I was like, I should probably go down to Little Rock, Arkansas here, you know, pretty quick when I was making my travel plans. And I was like, oh, you know what? Not so far away, Hot Springs. I might as well just spend an afternoon down here, called on some schools and, and went, uh, went to Oakland Park and uh, spent the day looking, looking at the horses. And uh, it was moments like that where I knew I needed to start looking for, uh, for a job in horse racing and stop wasting my employers, my sales employers time, um, you know, uh, while I was watching horses and supposed to be doing sales. Yeah. Uh, so ahead. I was I was going to ask, you know, how did that first meet at Fairgrounds go? Was that your first like on-air job? Yeah, it was my first on-air job, 100%. Um my first job in horse racing, you know. I Wow. Um, yeah, it was it it was, you know, a, a steep learning curve, but I I tell you what, um couldn't have a better guy to sort of oversee that learning curve with, with Joe Christofek. Uh, mm -hmm. He gave me tons of freedom to, uh, to make mistakes and get creative and, 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 uh, and go it alone a few times, you know, even before he was in town. And then uh, and he would just clip me back and rein me in and, and pull me aside and be like, Hey, this is not working or this is working and all that sort of stuff. But he was, he was fantastic in terms of uh, 
you know, giving me confidence and also and giving me room to move and make mistakes. But yeah, it was, it was my first job in all this stuff. So, you know, that first week it was, you know, we opened on Thanksgiving day, actually next year is going to be a week earlier. And, um, Joe, okay, he's still finishing up at Churchill, right? You know, y'all are still working there. So he's like, well, do you want to try to do it? You know, I'm, I'm like, absolutely. You know, let, mm-hmm. let, let, put, put me on, let, you know, let me, let me go, put me in coach. So I went down there and uh, got there like a couple of days before and uh, tried to get a lay of the land and, uh, uh, and popped on. And Thanksgiving at Fairgrounds is the uh, you know, one of the biggest days, if not the biggest turnout for, uh, for the whole meet, because it's just a tradition down there. Everybody goes to see the, see the horses on Thanksgiving and people get all decked out, you know, that Mardi Gras slash Kentucky Derby sort of mix of style. And um, uh, I, you know, got a couple of reports back from Joe K. He's like, well, they might be laughing at you, at you in the gold room. <laughs> you might want to work on a few things. I'm not sure how it's going there. So uh, it was, it was a fun first, first week where I got to make a lot of mistakes. And uh, as you know, to be honest with you, I, I've been handicapping and uh, getting into the, you know, the horses, obviously, you know, for a long time. But for the most part, for the past, since I moved back to Kansas City, I hadn't been talking to many people about it. You know, I've just been handicapping races solo and watching them and texting with my, my friends here and there. Um, so it was, it was funny to be talking about horses uh, with, with other people and in front of trainers, in front of jockeys and all that sort of stuff and realize how many, um, ah, how many uh, things I needed to work on in terms of my, uh, my parlance and my lingo and, and getting get just the, the words right for talking about horses. You did a great job for for it being your first time, and oh, thanks. I, mean, I think you it got seemed, better. I, you know, I think it started off a little rough. But I mean, you know, you seemed really relaxed to begin with, and that's that's the biggest plus, right, Caitlin? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we kind of started out the same way because Joe. I learned a lot of things from him, you know, right. as well. But yeah, I thought you started off great, and I. I thought it was maybe your first time on air, but I mean, if you told somebody that, I, I don't think you would know. Well, you're, y'all are nice. I mean, I think it helps. <laughs> I, I was a teacher. I was a teacher for you know 15 years, uh, mostly college level, and then a few years in the high schools. And I think that was it was a nice sort of setup for doing public speaking esque stuff. And I was gonna say, yeah, you have experience public speaking, then. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And then. The writing, you know, I'm a writer. That's that's what I am at my core, um, and that was really what helped me get the job. I remember, with I was going through the interview process, and uh, uh, I had to, you know, Joe had all these things that we had to do to 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 prove our, you know, that we could get the job, and I had to write a stakes um, preview and send it to him in like two hours or something like that. So I I whipped that out and you know was ready for it and sent it to him, and he, he responded pretty quick. And he's like, well, you just moved to, to the top of the list with this one. So I, I think it was my writing that really helped me able to, 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 to get my foot in the door. And, um, and I hope to be able to do more writing that, uh, that's worthwhile, of course, is for sure. Yeah, I, I always, uh, I liked the article with Caitlin, obviously. I read oh, that. Yeah, good one, right? Yeah. No, that was always a good one. Um, you know, Caitlin's smart. Uh, don't know why she decided to do the podcast with me, but she's smart. Um, (laughs) um, You know, it doesn't seem like you're somebody who just got in the game. Well, I mean, I've been obsessed with it for forever and I've been lucky to have jobs. Like I was kind of saying earlier, where I've been able to, uh, you know, to, to 
to spend some of my daytime hours, you know, uh, sneaking over. I mean, like back when I used to teach in Chicago, I would, I taught in between three schools and there used to be great OTBs in Chicago, you know, it's just one in the financial district and, uh, one up along Weed Street um, called the Mudbug. And I would, you know, I'd teach my classes and I'd just pop over, you know, to, to the OTB, watch a few races, you know, that I could and go back and get on the train to go teach over at Malcolm X or, or whatever the colleges I was at. So I've, I've always been able to, uh, to squeeze it in, but you all know how it goes, right? That's how this, this sport gets you. It just sort of, it's just the only thing you kind of want to think about. So I've been, I've been doing a lot with it, even though it hasn't been uh, in the public light, that's for sure. I, I still remember, and uh, we've told, you know, Caitlin, Caitlin does it. 99% of the people that we have had on this show at some point in time, like Jude Feld, myself, um, a couple other people, we would skip school to go to the racetrack to bat and then go would back you? to school, you know? And, you know, we grew up around the racetrack and, uh, you know, as my wife says, you could have picked anything else to do and uh, you chose to be around the racetrack. <laughs> <laughs> and my you could have been successful in so much, Andy. You could have been so much. You could have my, mom, my mom says it all the time. You could have been anything. You could have been <laughs> anything. Kayla's exactly where she wants to be and I'm happy where I'm at. So it doesn't matter what other people think. It's what matters what you think and uh, you know, you have a good future in it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love it. It's funny. I was just uh, chaperoning my uh, my daughter, my oldest. Uh, she's 11. I was chaperoning her, her field trip on uh, on Monday, just yesterday, and walking around with one of the other parents, and they're asking me their questions. What do you do? And all that sort of stuff. And, and a lot of the teachers, you know, were kind of bringing it up because we had to take the kids out of school and homeschool them while we were in New Orleans when they came down. And uh, so they were curious about it all. And But one of the moms, she was um, she's like, so how did you get into this you know she said it in that sort of way you know like what the hell is horse racing and, and I just thought about it I'm like well I mean I've got gambling you know I got into it from gambling you know that's how I how I, how I went with it and then I realized that maybe that's not the best sort of like response to give uh give the other kids uh uh parents because she just looked at me and was like oh, oh okay <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who I'm talking to anymore this is it's got that little taint to it you know so uh, yeah horse racing it's a funny thing to be to excel at or to be uh, to be deep into because not everybody can 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 jive with it. That's for sure. I, do you agree? Do you agree? And I'll ask both of you that there's some there's a form of a stigma when it comes to telling people like they're oh, like, yeah. oh, you can you can gamble and make money at it and or you know you can at least have a career in it. And either people are like, uh, oh, gross, or wow, that's kind of cool. I think it's more because it's horse racing. Um, Cause some people are like, Oh my gosh, that's terrible. That's so abusive, blah, blah, blah. But so many people in the area I live in have gotten accustomed and really like horse racing because somebody local is doing it. And like, you know, Gula was the last track kind of around where I am. I mean, Belterra and Turfway are the next closest things, but I mean, it's not something that's common around here. And I think it's kind of become more mainstream with people in the town that know me and stuff like that because of it, where it's not, you know, maybe as taboo and stuff, but yeah, there's definitely some people would be like, Oh, that's what you do. I think because it's, it's horses, not because it's gambling, but I mean, I think there's definitely a stigma with gambling too. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you for sure. I mean, I just, I, you know, run into such a cross section of different people and I kind of feel defensive about it a lot of time, you know, or I just know, or I'm assuming people sort of like judgment of it, you know, based off of who I'm talking to. And uh, sometimes I feel like I have to be, you know, defend the treatment of horses, you know, or that it even is a sport that exists or, or even just completely explain the whole thing to people right. who are completely oblivious to that it's, that it goes on and yeah, and the gambling part of it too is, is just another thing where people are like, well, that's, you know, certain people that's, you know, against the religion, you know, it's against uh, the way that they position themselves in the world. And, you know, some of my family members are like that. They're just like, it's not, they don't, they don't judge me. They're, 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 they're totally great and loving, but uh, it's definitely not where they would position themselves in, in, uh, in the social world as, as a gambler, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I feel like there's always, some sort of explaining to do when you say you're into horse racing, right? Unless you're in Louisville out at a bar and people come up to you and they tell you who they like the next day. That was amazing. I was, I was out with, with Ed and, and Marcus and some guy came up. He's like, yeah, look at this horse. Can't lose tomorrow. I was like, what is this? This is, this is the best. I gotta, I gotta get more of this. I used to get that at Santa Anita. There was an old guy that used to follow me around. And anytime I would, he would ask me who I liked, I'd tell him. And then if it ran up the track, he'd come back and say, I don't know why I keep asking you. You never give me winners. And <laughs> I'm like, well, then stop asking me that kind of deal. Um, I, I, I thought the funny thing was with me is when I started dating my wife, we were discussing her family. And, you know, she, you know, she's got two brothers who are professors. She's got, we got a sister-in-law that's a, that's a professor, uh, two sister-in-laws that are professors. And then we got the one brother that's a professional poker player. And I'm like, score, this is my <laughs> right here. I think they're going to get me. That That's my guy. That's my end for the family, right? That's it right there. Like, and I always, I jokingly always say, like uh, she said that I, she had told the family that I picked uh, Epicenter. And he's the first one to chime in and say, I think it's time to mortgage the house. And her comment is, don't give him any ideas. <laughs> like that's why he's my favorite. That's why he's my favorite brother-in-law right there. Yeah, he gets it. I mean, a professional poker player, come on. That's, yeah. that's it. A lot of times I have to revert to talking about poker to explain horse racing, especially the tournament stuff. You know, I mean, it's just like, how else do you explain it to people besides like, ah, it's like, you know, all that poker stuff, the World Series of Poker, the stuff you see on Poker Stars, you know, it's, it's kind of like that, but people betting on horses, you know, and I, I hope that sort of translates it in some way, but it's always a tall task. So do you do um, tournaments? I do. You know, I think that sort of that helped me uh, break into all this. No, I'll tell you what, 100% helped me break into all this stuff because uh, my first public appearance as like, a, as like a horse player was in none other than the Fourgate. You guys remember the Fourgate? No. Good. no. Good. Good. Okay. So me and six others for one of the free NHC tournaments picked all fours back in, I guess it was 2019. Oh, and yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. And um, all fours gave the best score that day. And, you know, I, I don't kid when I say that I picked all fours on Friday and didn't think about it again until Monday. So I, I get to, I was teaching at a high school at that time. I got to school and didn't, didn't have a first period class and went and looked like, Oh yeah, I played a tournament this week and how'd it go? 
And um, I look and I see like I'm tied for first, but in seventh place or like what, what's going on here? It took me a minute to realize what had happened. And I immediately turned to Twitter, even though I wasn't active on it, just knowing that's where all the conversation was and kind of began my apology tour. Cause I just like thought about that guy who was number eight, right? You know, only the top five would get seats and he had the best day of his life, you know, doing it legit. And uh, we just got, you know, stabbed our lucky stars and, and got it right. So, um, I, you know, they made us NHC, you know, they made us uh, do a little playoff tournament between the seven of us um, later on in March. And only the top five of us got seats to go. And I was able to do well in that and win that one. So that felt OK. Like, oh, maybe I kind of proved my bona fides. But no way. Of course, I'm still getting all the, the four gate jokes. And then uh, PTF had me on um, the players podcast and roasted me good, you know. And, but I proved I could be a good sport with it all because I deserved everything that I got. Uh, for getting in that way. But then I got into NHC that next year, uh, legit, and was able to finish 21st and, uh, you know, make a little money off of it and all that sort of stuff. And that, that was right before, you know, interviewing for the fairgrounds job. Because if you can remember, that was the one that was delayed by COVID. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the tournament stuff is what, what helped me uh, to, to break into this world for sure, you know, and, you know, infamously and famously, for you know, both ways. That's, that's funny. <laughs> I, mean, oh, yes. I mean yeah you really yeah. think about it you got like i've got uh we've got uh like one of my one of my friends out here uh trey styles it's like a hall of fame yeah absolutely first player right yeah and i mean he busts his butt every year to get to get into that thing and then you come along and are like four 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 and it's like, oh, okay, well, that works. <laughs> right? To do it. right, I know it. And, you know, you, if you look at the, especially on the free days where there's like 20, you know, 2,500 people playing, you'll see, you know, even before that we did it, that people do just put in random numbers or whatever they might do. And that's part of it, just being free, a free roll and all that sort of stuff. And, um, but I also kind of love it because, I mean, some of my favorite, kind of like at Hawthorne, you know, like those guys aren't necessarily they don't have time to be handicapping, you know, doing all the work that we do, you know, to look at these races and you show up and you see your kid's name in a horse, you know, or you just feeling a number, you kept on seeing a number in our receipt or whatever it is. And you, people play it, you know? So I, I, I feel good about that in, in terms of it just being a testament to how people come into the horses and gamble. And I've always sort of looked for, looked for luck. I look for signs of, uh, of meaning, you know, in, in betting on horses. Cause, uh, Horses are ripe for that. You know, we've always had our, our ways of sort of pouncing on it. If you think about Happy Jack, right? Why was Happy Jack bet down to, what was it, 15 to 1, 16 to 1? I forget what the final price was. You know, I think it's like my boy Jack's story. People love betting hunches, love betting superstitiously. So uh, it's good to represent that too in these big tournaments for sure. It's, it's like that uh, like that scene in Let It Ride where he like goes up to the window and says, I want so-and-so because it's the name of the cat and – you know, it's like, yeah, it's pretty much what it is. And I had forgotten to take a picture of it, but I, when I was texting you on Saturday, Caitlin, the mm-hmm. last thing after you and I had stopped texting was there's early voting uh, signs out here in Houston. <laughs> you can, you can find, so you can find where the place is. And right there, there was an early voting sign the minute after we stopped texting. And I'm like, this if this was not a sign that that horse was supposed to win, I don't right? 
So do you all ever bet hunches? Do you ever get superstitious and play names or uh, bet uh, some sort of random number or anything like that? No, I don't. I do. I do. If um, I do the cat thing too, if there's something with storm cat or storm kitty yeah, or something, I'm always like, Oh I, yeah, for sure. That's, what, that's how my wife does it. Right. And she just, <laughs> just like, Oh, that's a cat name. It's kitten. You got to put him in there. And I'm like, <laughs> I think one year during the Derby, there were like two kittens or storm cats and, uh, there was a name that she liked, and I'm like, and Pat. I think it was a year that Patch was in it, so you had to. She wanted Patch, and I'm just like, okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you like? I know this horse has no shot, but there's a um, filly up in New York named Stormy Cat Lady that, like, that's me to a T, and she won one day at like 25 to one or something, and I was like, I'm going to reap this for what it's worth. <laughs> Stormy cat lady. I love that. That's so good. <laughs> she runs every so often. Yeah, there's a horse named Kerouac out there that I haven't been able to, to see run yet, but I'm a big, uh, I used to teach uh, beat literature and, you know, Jack Kerouac, Allen Ginsberg and uh, Ann Walden, mm -hmm. all those great poets. And I'm like, all right, this Kerouac horse is going to make me some money. I got to be there for that one. I got to make sure and uh, be there. I think, I think Kerouac is still a maiden, but I could have missed that maiden win already. It's easier to play hunches, I think, when you just pop in every once in a while, you know, because right. you're like, oh, I only bet the horses once on, on Father's Day, and it happens to be that my kid's name is in the horse, like it's meant to be. But if you look every day, you know, it's just, it's just insanity. There's no, there's no reason to think that these little hunches are going to pop forward and, uh, and, and make, it, make it happen. But uh, I'm still a sucker for a good hunch, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I like I, – I don't think I have played a hunch in forever. Maybe like when I was a little kid. Um, but I mean, I totally get why other people do it. Uh, you know, it's a good way to, to make money sometimes. My brother used to play the last, used to just bet the longest shot on the board to show. That's all he ever yeah. did. Yeah. He would win sometimes and he would lose sometimes, but it really didn't matter to him. He just wanted to have some skin in the game. Yeah, those systems that people would have, you know, those irrational systems like, oh, the fifth horse, you know, the five horse in the fifth race, you know, is always a winner. The fix is in, that sort of stuff. I love that sort of thing. You know, gray on a Saturday, gray on a rainy day. Is that right? Or, yeah, never bet the gray is what uh, my wife's grandpa A would always say, never bet the gray horse, you know. Or the four hole, you know, is, was the, the, the grandpa Lou, my good friend, Bob Keneally's grandpa. He always, he always played the four hole. That's just the one he would play, play the four horse whenever he was betting the race, you know. That's so how much, how much do your kids enjoy the fact that dad's on, on the feed and on the simulcast and you're able to, to provide knowledge to people? Um, the last part, I don't think any, any, they don't care about me providing knowledge. I don't think, I think they think it's cool that I'm on TV, but they're, so 11 is my oldest. And then I've got a nine-year-old, a five-year-old and a two-year-old. I've got four kids. So that's, we were pregnant with our fourth when I played those fours as well. Um, yeah. And, uh, so I, I don't know. I think they had a great time in New Orleans. They loved being down there. You know, they loved, uh, diving into the culture and they loved coming to the horse track and we go to the backside and. Uh, my little guy, Lou, he almost had his um, finger bit off by just mite. You're feeding peppermints. So I <gasps> didn't, didn't teach him to uh, keep your hand flat, right? 
so we were hanging out with Michelle and then they were giving peppermints to, to her, uh, to her big guy there. And, uh, he just nibbled on it, squeezed down on the finger, but then luckily just, uh, bit right back off, you know, just lifted it off because he almost lost his finger there. But so they, they loved being there for that. And, you know, my daughter came on air one day, um, uh, to talk about, uh, a horse that she had an opinion about and that was super fun and I mean I think they're I think they think it's neat I, I, I'm still kind of waiting to see how it uh what their real uh reaction to it is later on in life when they when they tell me stories about it you know I had a question and I forgot it because I was so enthralled in that story <laughs> I was like I was like I have something and I forgot okay now I got it so you take your kids all over the place did you take them to get beignets Oh my gosh. That was the only way I could convince my son that he, he, he would love going there because he's such a homebody. Um, Kevin Jr. We call him Sonny. He, uh, he didn't want to go at all. And I'm like, listen, we can get beignets, you know, whatever you want to. And he's, he's a big time baker. He, you know, he makes chocolate chip cookies or something like that a couple times a week. He's, he's, he's already got his whole plan for his bakery. He's going to open up when he's older and he's not going to college, which is great news to me. I don't have to pay for that. And he's going to start a business. So yeah, we went and got lots of beignets, have lots of cute pictures of, uh, of the kids covered in powdered sugar and, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, they love, they love the beignets for sure. Did you, did you go to the, uh, original place down on, uh, at oh. Street? oh yeah. Cafe de Monde. We went, yeah, we'd go, we basically went to either that one there, um, in the quarter where there's another great one in city park, which is just less of a line. And there's like a little playground and park to run around and all the live oak trees. It's beautiful. City park is amazing um so one, one or the other and a lot of times my wife was leading those trips as i was uh um working much more than i thought i was going to geez fairgrounds horses takes a lot of work to to be ready caitlin andy you guys know you can mm-hmm. just uh, you non-stop working right especially those weekend cards with 12 13 races yeah oh yeah oh my gosh yeah so, did you try gator let's see did we eat any gator um, I mean, yes, for sure. When did we eat? I've eaten, eaten gator a bunch, always fried. So you're never really sure. Like, all right, I guess that's, that's gator, you know, but it's, it's, it's a pretty satisfying bite. We, we did go on a little, uh, um, bayou tour to see some alligators in the, uh, what river was it? Pearl river, I think is what we were on and, you know, just throw oh, yeah. marshmallows and they start popping out of everywhere and, you know, raccoons are coming out and the kids love that for sure. Yeah. We, uh, the wife and I did that. Um, when did we do that? Might have done it during uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Actually, we we went over we went over to visit friends that live in Covington and, and okay, yeah, do that. Um, did you get to see any Mardi Gras? Oh yeah, so much Mardi Gras. Um, <laughs> I think my, my wife Mardi Gras. Yeah, I've got the Mardi Gras and the, the, the family-friendly version and the non-family-friendly version. You know, we would, we would take the kids and, and they'd get the throws and then also we'd get the babysitter and uh, and uh, my wife and I would get after it too. Um, yeah, I, mean, I love, love those parades. You know, I really love, my favorite one is is earlier in the in the season, or my two favorite ones. The first one of the year is the Joan of Arc Parade, which is uh, on Twelfth Night, right, which is always the uh, the beginning of the of the season, and it's very really reverent, and they tell the story of Joan of Arc through the, you know, it's not floats because it's all a walking parade, but uh, 
it's uh, they reenact stuff at different spots in the quarter and all takes place in the French quarter. And it's, it's just, it's just really neat, really special. And it's, it's always cold because it's January. And um, then there's the crew to boo one, which is a mix of uh, like sex and politics, right? It's as crass and sort of uh, scathing as it can get. So uh, that's a mule drawn uh, uh, parade that comes through the quarter. And it's always uh I've seen it a couple of times at least. And it's, uh, it's, it's always a, a, a spectacle at, at, to say the least. Um, and then the, the big float ones, there's, there's, there was, you know, a blast. I, we spent too many hours just sitting there collecting stuff that just, you know, as a parent, you get uh, tired of having toys all over the place, all over your house. So it just kind of drives you mad to know you're bringing more stuff in all these footballs and uh, beads and, and different toys they're throwing out, but, uh, but the kids love it. You know, it's just like Halloween, but you just stand still, you know, everybody comes to you. Yeah. We, um, I still have, uh, Mardi Gras beads from like three years ago that I, that are in my truck and really we've got, we've got cups from like three years ago that we collected and Caitlin, you've got to do it. You got to go. I know. I want to go down really really bad maybe i can convince them to let me come on the fairground show once or twice just so i can see it yeah have you not been down in new orleans before i have not oh and yes 100 percent. right you guys start working on that right now gotta get you get you down there for, for some shows or do something, <laughs> this needs right? to happen asap yeah right oh I mean, they, sent, they sent shapiro down i don't know why but uh you could you could do a better job than scott whatever he did while he was down there <laughs> poor scott I'm just joking. That's, that's the best. That's the greatest. And he's been yeah. throwing out some winners, hasn't he? Shapiro's been on fire. If I'm, if I'm oh, he has. Sure. Sometimes, you know, we'll all do like little side bets during the show when we get bored and stuff like that, especially on like Sundays or Thursdays where the cards kind of bleh. we'll decide if, you know, we want to do some side bets. Be like, well, I feel like my horse in this race is going to finish ahead of yours. So... <laughs> Well, there's that meme. There's that meme he uses, right? Where he's like, where he's like uh, circling around with all the money around him. That's it's the <laughs> gift that they use on the show. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah, know, that, when he gets he, going, he's he's tough to stop. Mm-hmm. Caitlin, do you keep track of your picks uh, with Churchill? Um, publicly, or, or do you not have to do that? Um, I don't have to do it as much, but I still do. I save all of my notes and stuff. I still have everything saved from Turfway and stuff like that. So one of these days, I'm going to have to go back through and get my ROI and stuff like that. But I think oh, yeah, the promise yeah. I've been lately um, is some of my paddock picks. I on Sunday, I um, it, I do paddock picks and come on with just my voice after the post parade for me in special weights, kind of talking about first time starters and how I feel like they look physically. And I was talking about three of them. Um, one of them was 14 to one, one of them was 11 to one, and one of them was 16 to one. And I was just kind of like giving them out. Generally, I was like, you know, we took this turf main special weight onto the dirt based on what I saw from these horses in the paddock and their physical, you know, I feel like these three will run well. And the one that actually ended up won- winning it was the 16 to one shot I was talking about. And I was just talking about like his slight build and how I think he could get loose on the lead and skip over kind of a track with a little bit of moisture in it you know, and that his physical kind of matched up with that type of style, but that I thought maybe he could be, you know, a horse that would be able to bounce on that turf course. And he ended up winning and then the 14 to one came in second. So 
no that way, doesn't really. happen. That doesn't happen often, but I, I'm particularly good with being special weights. So, so can, can I ask you guys both a question? How sure. often, how often do people get upset at you for giving out certain picks, but then changing your mind once you see the horses? Never. Okay. Yeah, I, I I haven't done it too much because I was just kind of wondering if that was if that was kosher, you know. But definitely, I'll be sitting there talking about the horses that I, you know, on paper that I liked, and then looking at them in the paddock and being like, "Oh, geez," you know. And I'll try to say something, you know, to that extent, like that horse, you know, is totally washed out, no good, or "Wow, look at this, look at this monster." Right. What do you think, Caitlin? Do you think it's, it's totally totally kosher to do that to to kind of switch up and be like, "I know I put this, but looking at the paddock, I, I would put my money on this horse instead." Yeah, because I kind of, you know, use it as both. I'll give out, you know, my handicapping selection, but then I'll be like, you know, what I see on paper kind of backs it up. Or maybe I would throw this horse in too because this horse is just like really taking my attention. I kind of use it as both. Like maybe I would kind of use my selection based off of handicapping and a horse that also looks really, really good in the flesh. And that usually works out pretty well, I would say. But I mean, You've been to Churchill, you know how they heckle you in the gold room, no matter what anyway. So <laughs> it doesn't even matter. No. Yeah. We, like, like we were talking about for that uh, article the other day, like you've got that perfect situation, right? Where you get to mm-hmm. have your handicapping opinion, but see them all in the flesh and, and just nudge yourself one way or the other. Once you, once you get to that final, uh, that final piece of evidence that we're all waiting for. Yeah. I think that's really kind of been the key to so many things with me. There is, getting to I mean literally I mean unless it's the camera people or the connections nobody else kind of sees what I do yeah absolutely you're talking about world world cruiser that was a good tout that you put out the other day Mm -hmm. right they saw in the paddock you could just tell yeah yeah I mean that's something I'd like to get better at for sure where did you where did you get your expertise in that just from spending time with horses or was it uh something that you studied in one way or another I actually went to vet school in college and um what that's right yeah so that's where I learned about the physical makeup and the physical aspects of a horse and just kind of watching horses for so long and knowing like the body styles and you know the type of like the way they walk the type of you know muscling they have just you know based on their gait what surface they should you know really take to and I look for like um Somebody was in the paddock with me um, the other day and they're like, oh my God, is that horse lame? Because the uh, back leg was kind of, you know, looked like it could be lame, but the back leg was kind of coming up higher and like reaching out. And I was like, no, that horse isn't any pain and isn't lame. That horse has string halt, which sometimes affects things and sometimes it doesn't. But those are kind of like the things I look for, like little Mm. tidbits of information that people, you know, maybe that don't have that type of background. I can look at that horse and be like, Uh, stay away from that one. But one thing that I've heard a lot of is, and I know I'm not sure how much this really helps the general public, but a lot of times trainers don't like when you say bad things about their horses. So I'm really careful. Yeah. I'm very, very careful about what I say. So if I'm trying to steer you in another direction, I'm trying to do it subtly. Oh, what are some of your subtle uh keywords there trouble it at sam houston for flat out saying that a horse looked bad 
yeah, you can't say that. And I've kind of <laughs> learned that is, you know, even if they look bad, um, I just won't talk about them. Even if they're like really, really favored, I won't say anything or I'll be like, you know, there's just others that pique my interest in here or, right. you know, I just see other things I see beyond this one, some, something like that. I'm leading you in another direction, but I'm not telling you like why. Interesting. So just even the, the horses that you do choose to talk about, are the ones that are, are positive things as opposed to choosing the ones that are negative. So we can kind of assume for the most part, if you're not talking about that horse, there's nothing there that is uh, touting. It's going to run really well that day. I either didn't, I either wanted to try to beat it on paper or I saw something in the paddock I didn't like. Right. Right. And I mean, there are, there are are times that the horse doesn't, that, you know, the one good thing about Caitlin is she has a ton of notes on on how the horse looks um so from race to race i'm sure she has her notes out and says you know this horse did this this horse did that kind of thing yeah i'll know if it's normal if a horse like is getting hot pre-race because if it's not normal and i've seen the horse multiple times and this is like a new thing i'm kind of like oh you better stay away from that like there was a turfway mare that i'm you know really really used to and turfway form has been pretty good at churchill and she was coming into the race, you know, I think she was like seven to two or something like that. And I saw her get totally washed out. And I mean, you know, turfway temperatures versus Churchill temperatures in May, it's totally different, but I'd never, ever seen that from her. So I was like, yeah, we're going to, um, not do that. So, and she ended up running very poor, very poor that day. Were we standing next to each other? Um, in the in the paddock before the derby and watching crown pride just oh my god yeah i was so excited what was your thought about that what what were you thinking when you were watching crown pride do that that was the best horse i think i've seen almost the whole meet and i think he was almost feeling so good that he ran out from underneath Mikel barzalona right because yeah (laughs) basically treated me horse was breathing fire right yes Yes, yeah. I think that's a good way to describe it. He was. And uh, you, you run to the windows when you see that. Except if he's chasing sellers tomorrow <laughs> to break that fractions, right? Yeah, I think if they had a rider that had better experience for the derby on that horse, that wouldn't have happened. And that horse would have hit the board because he looked as good as I've ever seen a horse look. But so all, you know, the two weeks before, you know, everybody was, was, was very excited about how Cram Pride was so full of run. And it was also fighting the rider every morning, right? It was a right. fight. You know, that he was the, the exercise rider was talking about his arms being so sore from pulling back. And to me, you know, my reaction to that and not really, you know, being the expert in this at all, but was that like this horse wasn't going to be able to do what the, the rider wanted to do, you know, wanted him, him or her to do in terms of raiding back and settling and, and, you know, getting in a good spot and sort of, you know, taking the commands of the jock. But there's also, there's also a difference, right? right. I mean, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes maybe the exercise rider just tries to fight the horse instead of giving the horse their head, right? So when that happens, then of course the rider is going to get sore because he's not allowing the horse to just have its own action, especially in the mornings. Right. He literally had a different exercise rider on him all the time. It was never like the same person, I felt like. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, my, and I, I think I said this to you was my biggest concern was when was the day 
uh, the day before, was it, where he blew out in like 36 and change for yeah. three furlongs? And my thought, and I think I told Caitlin, I'm like, I'm like, ah, this horse is going to have way too much speed. <laughs> He's going to have way too much speed. Yeah. He was just, he was way too keyed up. And Andy, you and I discussed this now that they know what not to do. They won't make that. The Japanese are way too smart. They won't make that mistake again. No. Every time they've brought a horse over, they've learned from their mistake and they've, they've made quick adjustments. And uh, that goes, that goes along with what, what happened in Dubai with uh, the, the mayor, the Philly. What's our Philly that we both like? Looking at Lucky uh, siblings. Oh, uh, Shahama. Shahama, right. right? Instead of bringing their own, the regular trainer, they they sent it to Pletcher, and they never do that. And that filly was full of run at the top of the lane, and uh, Flavian just completely botched the ride on that filly. Well, she didn't so, have a very good trip either. Well, yeah, but it, that that's kind of Flavian's fault. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure if she liked the surface too. I thought maybe she she just kind of seemed like she was spinning her wheels a little bit at the top. Um, so maybe wonder if she didn't like that that moisture in the in the, in the track. I don't know. No, she's she won on a sloppy sloppy track before. Yeah. Did she? Yeah, she won in Dubai. On a, I think her debut was on a sloppy track, and she had a ton of dirt thrown at her um, in the Oaks in Dubai, and it didn't phase her. So I, I she'll, just, she'll win a grade one over here this year, I think. Yep, I agree. Yeah, she looked great in the morning. She was she was training lights out. She yeah. was awesome. Yeah, do we know what Crown Pride's doing next? Is there any talk about that? Um, he's going to have a little bit of a break, and then I think they're going to bring him back over, maybe for some of the later races in the year. And I think they want to either take him to the classic or the dirt mile. Wow. So he will be back, but they even said that should he have won the Kentucky Derby, they would have also skipped the Preakness and gone to the Belmont. Oh, really? Yep. I just, I mean, I mean, we can't, I mean, we could talk about this, but as much as it is a tradition, I don't mind if they go, if they cut it back a little further, um, keep the first Saturday in May, the first Saturday in May, maybe run Pimlico the third week instead of the second week run Belmont the fourth week. I mean, you're still at Belmont. You're not at, you're still not running into Saratoga stuff. You just backdate a little bit. You don't have to like completely change everything. Just change it enough to give horses enough time to bounce back. And I wouldn't mind if it was three weeks, three weeks, three weeks, but that would be it. Otherwise I don't want to change. Cause I mean, it's supposed to be hard. And I think people were just like, well, horses need more time. Okay, well, other than easy vo- or easy voting, early voting, who pretty much had everything all his way, the rest of the board was made up by horses who ran on Derby Day. So I, I, I just like, I don't want to hear that. Right. I know we, yeah, we don't race them as much, but do they need as long of layoffs as we give them? Or, or is it the trainers just, uh, that's what they're accustomed to and, and all those sort of questions. Um, well, yeah, I hear I'll go back to I'll go back to uh, Barry Abrams. I don't know. Do you know who Barry Abrams is, Kevin? Barry, I'm not sure. I don't so think Barry so. Abrams used to train horses in Southern California. Okay, no. He's a Roger Stein disciple. 
but uh, Barry had this thought process that if the horse was jumping out of his skin and he was ready to run, he'd run him. So if the horse was entered on a Sunday, he would turn around and enter that horse again the following Saturday, like literally giving up four or five days and then running right back. And he had such good success on it, at it because the horse was telling him what to do. And I think a lot of these trainers don't listen to the horse anymore. They just give it the time they need. And then once they see that the horse is showing that he's jumping out of his skin, it's like, oh, now we got to run. Up, oh, race doesn't fail. Well, I can't, I can't find a race for him now. To me, right, that's I mean, I, answering to owners with these big, you know, these, these million dollar, multi million dollar investments, I bet that's causes some of that, uh, you know, that trepidation to, well, that was your decision. That's your fault that you ran the back and this is why they got hurt or why they didn't win. You know, it's probably easier to answer the owners being like, oh, we've got this schedule. We're taking it easy on the horse. We're, we're treating everything, um, you know, pretty, pretty soft. So I, I'm, I'm just, you know, assuming just talking about something I really don't know about. So, um, but, uh, but that's cool to think about different ways that trainers would, would really know when a horse is ready to run and how they might respond to it. I think that's, that's interesting to hear, even just hearing about, um, you know, Tim Yakteen doing the blowout with, with Taba, um, that Wednesday, which I think was a surprise to most people it was a surprise to me. And, um, <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, just, and he had learned, he had learned that from what was the trainer that he worked for before, um, not Baffert, but, um, Whittingham. With, for Whittingham, he would always do that, right? Do the blowout right before. Okay, so Caitlin, I think you and I were discussing this, right? Uh, during our derby preview, we both agreed that the horse ran off. It wasn't a planned workout or blowout. Yeah. Oh, really? <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you go back and you look at it, you can tell that horse ran off with the rider. It wasn't a workout. No, that was Zandon. <clears throat> no, was it Zandon? It was oh, it was Zandon. It was Zandon. So it wasn't the Yakteen Taba? No, I, I no, I mean Woodingham would do it, but Woodingham comparing Woodingham to Yakteen is like comparing <clears throat> you know uh Whittingham to a trainer at no offense to the Sam Houston Race Park trainers, but a low-level <laughs> trainer at Sam Houston. Well, I mean what I'm saying is I like the idea of thinking about how trainers different ways of approaching, you know, how they, how they tune up their horse and how, how they get them ready to go. And, you know, even the idea that some people would work them the morning of a race, right. It's just these sort of old school ways and, and it would work. And um, I mean, I think, I think Tim, yeah, team does a good job for sure. I, I just don't know Whittingham at, at all, you know, to, to, to be able to say anything about that, but. So, uh, so there was, was, there, was, was he awesome? Charlie Whittingham? The bald eagle. He's he's the greatest, one of the, the greatest goat. trainers of all time. Really? Yeah. Good thing we're talking hey. about the goat on the goat show. I know that he is. He's a goat. Uh, he's um. The problem with Charlie was is that Charlie understood his horses to a T, right? So if he blew that horse out, he knew he wasn't going to dull the horse's performance. Mm. And Yakteen did the opposite of what he what he tried to do with with Taba. I think he blew out the horse hoping it would it would keep him like tight and ready to run, kind of mm. like Crown Pride did. But it ended up backfiring him and kind of dulled him because he came back three days later and ran. 
Because he didn't run. He that was a bad race by Taba. Chris it's a bad race. The, you know, Mike didn't Mike didn't break him out, and I I knew that going in that Mike was the worst rider for that horse, because Mike isn't going to get himself in a position where he's going to where he's going to take up on heels or anything like that. He's going to get out before that ever happens because he's afraid to get hurt. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't. I, that was like if you would have put Paco Lopez on him, I probably would have bet Taba. <laughs> <laughs> How many times can you say that though? You look at a card like if Paco Lopez was on this horse, you know, I'd, I'd bet this horse for sure. Never. Oh, yeah. So uh, we love having you on. We we got to do it again more, especially when Fairgrounds comes around. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for thinking of me. Thanks for inviting me on. It's been fun talking with y'all. Uh, well, you know, uh, I wanted you on and uh, I sent a text message to Caitlin like last week and said, I got Kevin for next week. <laughs> she could even figure out who we were going to have. And uh, we got a lot of stuff brewing here on the goat zoom room and all that. And uh, Caitlin, do you know about our, our new venture into the podcast stuff that we've done? I've been reading some of the text messages. So yes, so I'm aware. What, you know what, what we have become? Yes, I saw that there's a podcast network now. There is. Do you know what the name of it is? The Aviary Podcast Network. There we go. Look at Caitlin. <laughs> She's on top of it. Pass so we've Caitlin. taken a few podcasts and put them into a family of podcasts. So this way we could interchange everything. And uh, this gives Kevin opportunities to be on multiple shows if he ever chooses to. Hey, I, I love it. love the fact that you're, you're pushing that forward, that network idea. And I like the format of just having conversation, right? And just sort of letting things sprawl in different ways. I think there's always more room for that with the horse racing world. Yeah. I mean, it's always good to have conversation. And, um, you know, Caitlin's probably, uh, Caitlin is probably one of the smartest people um, I know. No, shucks. There you go. You got, you got your, your two minutes of me being nice to you today. <laughs> <laughs> Take us now, Caitlin. You have been listening to another edition of the Goat Zoom Room. You can tune in next week as we continue on with the Triple Crown, headed towards the summer, Royal Ascot coming up, plenty of more things to talk about.